Remember a day before today, a day when you were young, free to play along with time, evening never comes. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. This is the flesh room. Axe on, hat. Axe off. I know Kung Fu. Yippee-ki-yay, mother I ate his liver with some fava beans. Nice candy. Green, for lack of a better word, is good. Show me the money. I drink your milkshake. The snozzberries taste like snozzberries. How do you like them, all right, all right, all right. These guys are 11. I'll be back. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. It wasn't the airplanes. It was beauty killed the beast. Welcome, everybody, to Pop Culture. I am Scott. I'm Jason. And I'm Monica. And we're peeling onions, everybody. It's been a while. Missed you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Explanation of the quote there. That's actually from a song called Remember a Day. And it's to lean into our topic this time being nostalgia. What a topic it is. Given that uh, nostalgia dollars are now well and truly forefront of, uh, I think, studios' mindsets when going into film productions. Mm-hmm. And also television. Mm hmm. What can we remake? What toy can we reproduce? What thing can we capitalize on to rake in a few extra bucks? What stuff is, you know, the kid who grew up with this who now has kids going to pay to? Mm. Yeah. It's, I think it's deeper than just that, though. Um, I think there's a lot more to it in that we probably don't recognize it as we've moved on in generations where it's already been happening previously. Mm-hmm. So uh, the first thing I'd really want to point out is what nostalgia is in terms of viewing films or television. What 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 is it in that respect? And the way I look at it, um, it, it transports us to our childhood or our younger adult life. You know, a sort of a freer time oh, and, and an uh, important moment for you, anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it causes this weird mixture, and I, I say weird because it can go in many directions. So it's actually quite a complicated emotion if you want nostalgia. It's not one or anything at any one time. So you know, you can have joy, sadness, regret, loss, and have that powerful feeling of comfort as well when uh, you're reflecting back into those moments that you remembered. And, uh, yeah, so I think it it really does guide a lot of storytelling and filmmaking as it is because childhood is one of those places that, you know, uh, has that magical quality to it where, you know, time is endless almost at that point and you don't have as many experiential weights on your own psychology and things when you... <laughs> get that as an adult you know you sort of suddenly everything's finite and closed as you get more responsibilities and things like that so um yeah i I was considering it and when i was looking back i was thinking actually nostalgia is forging films way back and it's relative to the time of uh i guess your main viewing public uh or audience i should say at this point um so right now we're right in my generation's moment and uh, mm-hmm. it's Gen X's. Yeah, it's the, it's the creeping, creeping to the 90s. Yeah, yeah. and it's now going to lean into there. So, you know, I'm born in the 70s, brought up in the 80s, and that's me. And mm. so there's all this mm. uh, stuff, as you mentioned, that can be capitalised on from my childhood experience. And uh, the 70s is a bit vaguer for me because obviously a lot younger then, but as you hit the 80s, like it, it's really really apparent um you know we're, we're getting stranger things uh ready player one um reboots of star wars or remakes of the whole star wars universe is coming out of that as well and it's directly targeted at uh, as you said the money holding mm-hmm. audience at this point 
So, um, yeah, it's it's calculated, but I think it's also something that is what drives a lot of the storytellers as well. So I, 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 I think you're on the money there. Like I, you look at that sort of 50s boom of Westerns, you know, coming out of the late, like early 18, late 1800s into the, you know, the new century and sort of like getting nostalgic for that, I guess, <laughs> Western expansion of Manifest Destiny and R when we had we had it in our hands. Like mm. They made, they did that and 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 you know that was this sort of grandiose look at that aspect of American history. Talking about Hollywood cinema, I think it'd be different in very other cultures. That's for sure. Mm. They probably have yeah, a their own. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's certainly yeah. But when you get you get that sort of eighties, we're talking about the the the, the dominance of popular culture mm. and and the popcorn movie and fun and fantasy and fiction and as opposed to looking back at a historical period yeah i think jason you put it really well um comfort is mm. um the best descriptor that i could possibly think of um it gives you that warm and fuzzy because it re-familiarizes yourself with something that you know quite well and back to when it was maybe a simpler time or maybe a time in which, um, as you said, fewer responsibilities and you just got to, you know, let loose and just enjoy the things that you were like watching and listening to and, you know, or doing all those sorts of things. So it's a very powerful thing that I think um, a lot of um, production companies have capitalized on. Some are successful and some are not. Yeah. That's, and that's the danger of it too, is if you, if you goof it up, it can become very venomous. <laughs> I have very venomous feelings about the gem and the holograms movie. So yeah, I feel you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you made a really good point then. And I was trying to think, but anyway, I'll, I'll leave it for the moment. It'll come back to me. So we, I know, do you have anything, anything else about nostalgia we want to talk about before we jump into what our top five is for the day? Oh, I, I, I think, yeah, it, it's not, you, you mentioned things like uh, historical stuff like the Western, but in reality, that is a nostalgia for a time that's gone. When you look at yeah. things like the Getty Westerns when they came out um, mm. and the audiences that was appealing to, they were sort of seeing the 60s occur culturally mm. in the present and they wanted to relive that past thing that they were used to. And then you look at Star Wars as an example and that's looking at the old science fiction serials and bringing that back to the screen. Yeah, and, Flash Gordon. And yeah, Flash Gordon and things like that. Um, it's Buck Rogers. And... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, that... then, and then, I mean, with Indiana Jones, it was, it was James Bond and it was... I think nostalgia is well you you have to also tread very cautiously because on the one hand you have nostalgia but then you have I guess historical revisionism which I think those two go very closely together if you are not considerate in the way that you are presenting your nostalgic piece yeah that that's probably going above the nostalgia concept though because yeah of course uh, people people want what they've lost quite often and mm. that's not necessarily going to be politically correct at the time and um i think it's <laughs> that actually clashes quite considerably yeah. because mm. they're, they're nostalgic for this other time um yeah. it, an interesting one i watched um i just got to remember the name of the film now it was a australian film set in the 70s mm. it had like kylie minogue and I oh, I know exactly the movie you're talking about. Yeah. Couldn't it's... tell you what it's called. Yeah, it's well, like it's a, a it's... really weird name. I, I'm looking it up because I think it's important. Yeah, it's, to it's, it. a, it's a comedy. It's a comedy, right? Yeah, it's by um, the guy who did Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which is a great film. But uh, this, one was, this one was unusual. Um, it's like the kid reflecting on his childhood, right? Yeah, he's reflecting back. It's very similar to an American he's, version. He's, of it's, yeah, he's his got parents his are like swingers and stuff and... that he did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh god, I can't find it. Um, but it was a weird, weird name for what what it was about. 
It went straight into the um, sanity bucket bin when I used to work it. There you go. It's swinging <laughs> Safari. That's it's it. the one. Yes. Swinging Safari. And they were pulling up all of those tropes of the 70s right in your face. And so much so that you, you felt hit over the head with it where it lost that same essence of giving you that comfort of that time. It is sort of almost making fun of the time. and. Um, I don't know whether that was the intention. I mean, it's still got funny moments, I have to say, because uh, there is this politically <laughs> political incorrectness to everything going on at that time mm. uh, and a sort of what we'd say a revisionist insight into the period of time, which is something else that you can see as well. So what you're saying, Monica, it doesn't mm. necessarily become a problem. It actually becomes something where we can mm. pull it out and then dissect it a bit. Um, yeah, I guess... Time. I guess I wasn't coming at it from the angle where um, it's ignoring or um, thinking about political correctness through a modern lens, but more about um, idealising a particular time in the past um, yeah. and excluding yeah. the less glamorous aspects of it. Yeah, so this one's looking at the less glamorous aspects. Yeah. Okay, fair <laughs> oh, enough then. Cool. <laughs> we talk, are you trying to talk about Tarantino? What are you, where are you, where are you, no. where are you going? <laughs> I, would never I would never besmirch upon Tarantino. <laughs> But even um, Tarantino, that's another good example of mm. the nostalgia coming back from what mm. films sort of put in there, you know, your World War II films and yeah. um, Westerns and things. So they're, they're nostalgic things to yeah. do. Um, and he's not necessarily bringing in the period of time. He's actually doing the genre of film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's doing it in a more literal sense, I guess. <laughs> And if you'd like to know more about our thoughts on Quentin Tarantino, yeah, you can listen to our Quentin Tarantino episode. Let's get mixed up with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I, I guess the the biggest issue can be is if you get too self-reflective about the nostalgia, it becomes like a weird postmodern mess where you're not sure <laughs> which way it's going. It's, um, yeah, and I think that's what Swinging Safari did. It just sort of, you know, it's disconcerting watching that one um, as an example. Uh, but it, it's living through that all of them. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I guess I, I look at that from the experience from that decade. And mm. so for me, there was that weird, it's not quite it, but it is it. And mm. so you get that comfort, as we mentioned, you know, in recognizing it, we just saw it being dissed. Yeah, uh, right. but they're relying on it for you to enjoy it because the comedy comes from a lot of the things at that time. Mm. Mm, it's certainly a, uh, a a a nourishing pie we bought ourselves for this episode in terms of <laughs> how how we could go about talking about it and what we can talk about. So let's talk about with five examples, I guess, of uh, media or reboots or remakes or totally new properties, that, I guess, adequately capture nostalgic elements for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have I, have I, have I? Go first, Scott. Go. Give us one. One. Actually, that one that hit me where I live. Um, <laughs> growing up, obviously in the nineties, I'm a I'm a little bit a couple of decades short of Jason. The Jurassic World, which I'm not okay. saying is a great a great film by any stretch of the imagination, but mm. it hit some of those beats for me that took me right back to being four-year-old watching Jurassic Park for the first time and my love of dinosaurs and that sort of big adventure and that just I remember being in the cinema with the biggest smile on my face when, like the T-Rex comes out at the end and then you know we get that John Williams music beat and mm. yeah it, it hit me in all the right places for that like that moment of like comfort and childlike. I have gripes with the movie. I don't think it's terrible though compared to its its sequel, but it's mm. certainly not the worst of the Jurassic Park movies either. But it, it it's it was just like that moment I was just like oh, I'm a kid and dinosaurs are so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I guess my relative experience to that and it was a disappointment would have been uh, the Phantom Menace. 
like uh Ooh, the moment, yeah yeah at, like the moment that title crawl happens and the blast of star wars appearing again that was quite profound how it threw me straight back to being a kid and i i, I thought <laughs> well, you were like taxations of the trade routes oh uh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm forgetting all the rest Blo of it blockade. First moment <laughs> yeah. where, where i got goosebumps and i was like yeah no wow. for sure back and um i i think that's the last time i was completely overwhelmed with excitement and nostalgia from mm. a cinematic experience and it was long enough ago for me and uh but yeah uh, disappointing obviously and the weird <laughs> thing is i think uh all the star wars stuff since has been still trying to tug at all of those strings of the nostalgic effect of the franchise and um yeah it's works in some spots and not others and the inconsistencies sort of i think mm. slightly rubbing raw a bit now so you don't get that mm. same feeling um it's now just another thing <laughs> uh but yeah that that was a moment but it's not one that i'd use as my example but it's similar to your jurassic park one oh yeah, jurassic world just, sorry, I should say. yeah just that, that that and that when i first saw jurassic world it just took me yeah like jurassic park was such an important part of my childhood and it was the biggest thing like as a 90s kid <laughs> it's, yeah it's yeah. huge yeah. Yeah. i i i'm a similar age to you scott i'm probably just a couple of years older so um grew up in the 90s but you know my teens were predominantly in the 2000s um but i guess my first pick is um a film that we have talked about before and i like to try and circle back you know where i can is um the mummy the 1999 one um, there's just something about it um, when I saw it for the first time because I watched all of the Indiana Jones movies on repeat as a child. Um, you know, my dad taped it from the TV and I would just sit there and watch Indiana Jones fight Nazis and, you know, go on these historical treasure hunts and all that kind of stuff. And there was something about The Mummy and coupled with um, my still ongoing obsession with ancient Egypt that... I just couldn't look away from it and it just filled me with such joy and it just captures that that similar kind of pulpiness and that action adventure and it's just a, such a fun movie that doesn't replicate those previous iterations of jones or those sorts of 80s to 90s actions movies it's something that stands completely on its own as its own thing and is now giving people nostalgia in new iterations of that you know um i'd love to see a different take on a film like the mummy produced today <laughs> Tom Cruise did that a couple. Of years no, ago? he did not. <laughs> that does not exist. What no, it does not exist. I, you, you picked a really good one too because it's sort of for people of different interests. It's really cool because obviously, yeah, coming to it like for me, as it was Indiana Jones, it was like, oh my god. Now, as an adult, that I've got this great love of the Universal monsters, it mm. it plays with it in two very interesting ways. In that, it is this sort of bombastic pulp adventure, but also it's playing it's a monster with movie. Yeah. <laughs> And it's a really yeah, good monster movie. Pizza. Yeah. It'd be the, the word. Mm. Yeah, exactly right. Mm. Yeah, okay. Um, my first choice was because that I believe the film when it was released at the time was utilising nostalgia, um, but it has now since become a nostalgic film at the same time, and that's Back to the Future. Uh, it, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it's it's looking at that uh, time of the 50s in an 80s lens. So they've got the nostalgia of the 50s in lots of respects when you're going back in time and, you know, you've got people coming out washing the cars and the music and everything and all that nostalgia is really rich in it from the makers who probably their childhood's from there. So yeah. they're bringing their childhood into this new film which for my childhood is the 80s, so I've got this weird combination of <laughs> nostalgic for the 50s, still critical though. It's it was um, mm. it does put a uh, I guess a comparison of future concepts versus the way people say it was. Um, mm. it, it definitely plays with that. Like uh, his mother's the 
best example where she's you know criticizing people as a mother but then she was smoking and drinking and all and sorts of things mm. total sex fiend trying to, yes. <laughs> trying to sort of sleep stuff. with her own son what a monster but, anyway <laughs> but um yeah though it's it's one of those most unusual films for me because it does have my own nostalgic thing of childhood viewing of it but then that mixture of the 50s all sort of brought in and the 50s is a a common one i think throughout the 70s and 80s if you look back at we had like happy days and stuff was so big as well yeah. like this this idealized vision of the 50s is this yeah oh, and great time yeah yeah, yeah. american Even... graffiti, it's it, it yeah. was it, it interestingly that that became the period of that time and the 50s sort of nostalgia 60s came in in the 90s i think a little bit but um it's it was there and it's uh probably the best example i could have of a multi faceted nostalgic film for me personally and it is going to be a personal thing i have to say uh, nostalgia is not going to be one where we can well it's your ex it's it's experience too and and your mm -hmm. interests yeah yeah for sure and I think the only other example that I think kind of comes close to it, um, which is from the early 2000s, is um, if I can remember the name, Pleasantville with um, oh, yeah. Reese Witherspoon. It has the similar set uh, kind of tone to Back to the Future in which they sort of go back to this um, long forgotten era of the 50s where everything is in black and white and there's very specific roles for each of the characters and how they break away from that and everything slowly turns into colour. So. Mm. It, it does it in a similar way to Back to the Future, probably not as um, fun and adventurous, but <laughs> valid. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, you're right, yeah. Let me find my list. Right, uh, an interesting one, and we and one we have talked about as well, uh, WandaVision. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a great example. So uh, a hitting as many nostalgic cultural television mm. points as humanly possible from you know i love lucy all the way through to malcolm in the middle it, it's sort of <laughs> uh, yeah this, we, you know, if you want more about it our episode's quite good just saying humble brag um but you know each episode of this show is um <laughs> each episode of the show is is looking back fondly on this different mm. era of television and plays with it in quite an interesting way yeah and that's also um how we have a look at wanda herself she's escaping into these things because she identifies with it's it. her nostalgia it's her nostalgia <laughs> absolutely um yeah it's a great uh use of that too in terms of a deeper mm. sense of character where she's running away from what she's facing in the present by trying yeah. to live through the past again. So it's uh, really, really well done. And the uh, detail at which they made sure they went through to do all of those periods of time is just phenomenal. Like uh, I know that uh, Dick Van Dyke was uh, sort of, I guess, brought in to do the 50s type mm. variety yeah. show and make yeah. sure that Disney, Disney to have him chained up in the basement. Yeah. Oh. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> let him come out and dance. Everyone. Yeah, that's it. That's it. They have him, they have him strapped um, to a trolley like Hannah Lecter. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it, WandaVision's great for mm. utilising nostalgia um, so well as part of the story. But, yeah, part of the story as well. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Um, before I go with my next pick, I have a very important question to ask both of you. Um, does fear exist in this dojo? <laughs> <laughs> does fear exist in this dojo? <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I'm sorry. <laughs> yelling quiet. Yeah, call loud. me a person, then I got it. Quiet. <laughs> yeah. Strike um, first. Strike hard. hard. No, mercy. no mercy. Exactly no mercy. right. Uh, Cobra Kai is something that's really special. Um, it came out of nowhere for me and it just hit me like a freight train. Um, it's just so much fun. <laughs> See, I watched it back when it was on YouTube Red, which sounds an awful lot like some sort of porn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
wax on, wax off. (laughs) But it utilizes um, the nostalgia from the Karate Kid movies in such an effective way to the point where we're now looking at the two main characters, Daniel and Johnny, at very different points in their lives. They're much older and they're the same but different. Um, You see the progression of their lives and how the show doesn't attempt to kind of glorify them in the ways that they were sort of portrayed in the original film. It's so important. I, I, I think yeah. I think the other thing about Cobra Kai too is that it it when you're watching it you kind of I think you you go into it with that like oh, I liked the Karate Kid when I was younger this is cool mm. it's you know that story I'm nostalgic for that but it, yeah. it's really playing with the 80s more than it is yeah. the Karate Kid with these <laughs> two very very different views on the decade with like Daniel LaRusso is like yeah. You know, mummy's boy and had the wise mentor to johnny lawrence's like abused alcoholic like <laughs> father rich boy story from yeah, the night. yeah and, totally and, uh, driving a phoenix firebird and like all these like <laughs> and him teaching miguel how to pick up chicks using tactics in the 80s which would never work today yeah you end up in prison i'm sure sometimes <laughs> yeah exactly but yeah i just found it e- extremely watchable and it does refer quite heavily to the films i mean we see flashbacks to particular scenes in the film particularly um when um miyagi is involved but it doesn't annoy me which is cool <laughs> no, i think it's that the whole the whole show is handled so um like there are high drama moments but the whole show yeah. is quite quite fluffy It is fluffy for the most part. And, you know, it's a very simple story. You know, you have these two rivals and then, you know, the um, (laughs) John Kreese comes back and causes a whole bunch of trouble and he's still an awesome villain Mm -hmm. (laughs) who's also um, quite humanised in the last season. Like You need more more Nam flashbacks. (laughs) You need more Nam flashbacks, exactly right. Like, you really start to feel for the guy. (laughs) But you, you understand why he is the way that he is. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, and yeah, also um, the, the t- yeah, it's it's got an unusual, uh, I guess, position for me because I remember seeing the Karate Kid films when they mm-hmm. came out, and it, it's almost a subversion <laughs> of. I I wouldn't call it nostalgic. It, it's like they've travelled with me. <laughs> it's is yeah. is the better description. It's sort of like they. If anything, nostalgia is more of what was lost in the past and that regret from the past mm. and things in Copra Kai. But for me, which made it really good, like I agree, it's a great series and it's a really great progression from the films. And it just has that feeling of, you know, getting older and yeah. facing the realities of things and um yeah, if anything, it's sort of almost anti-nostalgia a bit, but by saying, you know, it wasn't really that great in the end, or I didn't, it didn't lead to what you imagined it would have at that time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, um, yeah. It's uh, got a weird effect on me when I watch it because, yeah, it's like I've travelled with them <laughs> a little bit. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's well, yeah, because you're watching those characters dealing with the reality of aging. <laughs> Yeah, and and yes. and, yeah. and from and from debt, you know, paying bills, and <laughs> also to yeah. watching directionless you know, um, and yeah, also watching Daniel Lewis to be objectively a bad parent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all of that, and uh, yeah, so it's it's got this weird position in my brain. Uh, it doesn't hit the nostalgia marks for me, but mm-hmm. it certainly gives me a really nice lineage, if you want, of yeah. the story. Mm-hmm. It's a progression that seems to have gone for decades now, but even though there wasn't anything in between, it, mm. it, yeah. it effectively joins it. It's it's yeah. done very well. Mm. Finally made the Karate Kid more than just Rocky for kids. Yeah, Rocky for kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good descriptor. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way. <laughs> All right. It totally is. <laughs> No, it's yeah, it is now that you say it's like really obvious. <laughs> uh, my my selections, by the way, they're doing a slow build of where they get to from things so mm-hmm. we're quite often the nostalgia has referential points that keep getting repeated and uh utilized over and over again because of that nostalgic point mm-hmm. so my next one's actually stand by me 
which is a film in the 80s. So for an 80s kid, it's nostalgic for the film itself. But for the people who made it, it's nostalgic again for the 50s. And we're starting to bring in the sort of Stephen King Mm. uh, universe that was very prevalent in the 80s. That's where he was really at his height. I mean, he's still a very popular author, but... Yeah, well, yeah, and, and then he's weird that he's having his resurgence now for the 80s love of the... That's right. Um, but, yeah, Stand By Me was one of those ones where, again, you felt this nostalgia for a, a more simpler time and that it was really played when out. you could just walk along the train tracks. Yeah, yeah. or <laughs> run when you need to. That <laughs> other but uh, yeah it was sort of it it also is about childhood so stand by me is that massive nostalgia concept of um you know i think even the line from the stories in the film of you know no one ever has friends like you do when they're 12 or something like that and Mm. you know there never is anyone like that since and it captures that sort of uh wonderment of the childhood and the way that they're best friends in that situation they're obviously driven apart as adults but um it's got that nostalgia for that time in your life i guess is the best way of describing it um i don't it necessarily has the 50s in total it it actually goes beyond time a little bit in the way it's treated so works really really well and so for me it's a nostalgic film but then it's also really heavily steeped in nostalgia for childhood and the 50s and things like that nice my next one is a bit of an odd one and i apologize uh not accepted (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) well that was it wow warcraft (laughs) go on (laughs) let's hear it yeah warcraft warcraft (laughs) warcraft yeah you know you're not accepting that (laughs) wow is that because it's uh, because the film came out at a certain time or is it for warcraft like i'm I'm just interested well well i think the movie got all the beats that i love from the games and stuff but i think the games themselves are this very interesting like revved up look at tolkien and fantasy elements and it takes all that stuff mm-hmm. from knights to orcs to you know more like sinister kind of gothic elements and vamp- vampires and things like that and bl- and brings them all together with this in this really nice package and steampunk dwarfs with you know shotguns yeah. and things so it's, yeah and and, and this it, it's it's stuck with me since i was a kid like i remember getting for my like eight birthday i got warcraft 2 on pc and i had the box and the book and stuff and it was a a franchise that i threw myself into because i wasn't quite prepared to understand tolkien i think but i read like the warcraft novels and this sort of stuff and then it it was my gateway to you know kind of more traditional high fantasy and then yeah and as a you know a juggernaut of entertainment that is wow now the way it kind of plays with the fantasy genre mm. is quite nice and it brings in all those things from, from the elves to mages and dungeons and dragons and all that sort of stuff as well so it, it's probably more the books than the games because the the game warcraft 2 is just like an rts which doesn't give you a lot <laughs> well, the myth the mythology of it i remember reading the yeah. the manual Remember yep. games used to come with manuals and it had like, you know, descriptions of each race and the, you know, mm. you know, these orcs come from, you know, Draenor and blah, 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 blah. And like, I was just like, I, I, I blown away by it as a kid. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> uh, Scott's now rationalizing for someone to go make a Starcraft film. Do it. <laughs> you maybe do it a little now. maybe do it a little bit better than than warcraft did but, but yeah. like <laughs> i still i really actually still quite enjoy the movie but i think if you if you weren't as invested in the lore as someone like i was mm. you'd be watching it going what the fuck is going on <laughs> well, oh, look, I, I, I sort of enjoyed it but um again it's falling into the uncharted trap where um 
it's, it's definitely cast a lot better. <laughs> than yeah, it is. But I mean, you know, the, the experience of playing uh, World of Warcraft and things like that is uh, probably far more potent than any basic. <laughs> you throw your entire life into it. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, How long did I play WoW for? Good God, there's a majority of my high school life right there. Yeah, I don't know how long I played it for because I just sort of found it's too much of an investment in time. But well, I got uh, I got from vanilla all the way to Legion, which would have been oh, okay. That's when lot, I was yeah. when I was working. So it got me through the end of high school all the way through university as well, playing this <laughs> one video game. Wow, um, mate, no, raids I... are gonna rub themselves. <laughs> <laughs> My level um, or hunter. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting how much it's got in popular culture too now. Like yeah, uh, World of, yeah, where we talk about levels and things like that. Um, Free guy. So, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, World of Warcraft. That's an interesting one, and I think it's probably more of a personal one too. There because you obviously got into the books and. Yeah, like I, I, I got really into it as a from from being a kid. It was my it was my gateway into fantasy. I didn't I didn't discover Lord of the Rings till not long before the film came out. Yeah. And then was like, oh, I'll read the book before the movie comes out, and that's when I really got into fantasy literature. Cool. Yeah. Um, my also, I guess something from. My own background as a kid, um, watching early morning cartoons and seeing it realised on a big screen much later in my life, which made me extremely happy, which was Detective Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> There's something so charming about it that just gives me enough to look back fondly upon, you know, the huge cultural phenomenon that was Pokemon in the late 90s when it first burst onto, like, Channel 10 before school TV. <laughs> and and Pokemon th hasn't aged either. No, well, the popularity going. certainly hasn't waned, but but it 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 hasn't aged mm -mm. badly. Like I watched it not too long ago. I bought like the like when um I had my son, I was like, oh I was a Pokemon nutcase, right? Mm. So I bought the box set of the TV show. It was like 20 years worth of season. Oh, dude, this box is so heavy. This box is so heavy. You could kill someone with it. <laughs> and we were watching it together, and he loves it, and and I was watching it. And it's it's like that totally harmless. Like, yeah. it hasn't it hasn't dated in a in like a cringy way. The way like I couldn't watch Dragon Ball Z when I was an adult. I'd be like, oh, far out. Yeah, no, Pokemon's um, such a safe place. <laughs> it is a safe place because it's so wholesome and it's about yeah. this ragtag group that just keep going to all these different gyms. And, and we're frenzies and we're always going to yeah. be frenzies. Yeah, exactly right. And they all have their little thing like Misty likes her world of Pokemon and Rock likes his Earth Pokemon. And, and being you know, a bit rapey. <laughs> Yeah, with nurse. That might be the one thing that's aged actually. Brock's a bit creepy now. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I found the film, you know, utterly charming and it was enough of a departure for me to sort of buy into it. It is what would happen if Pokemon were integrated into the real world. What would you look like if you had a job and you had to work alongside one? You're looking for this one that, you know, can be sort of like your own personal almost pet or your companion. Um, and it just hits at you in different levels and the character of Pikachu himself, which, you know, spoiler alert, it's been out for ages, you know, uh, turns out to be his father's consciousness saved into the Pikachu. So it's a good father-son story. <laughs> and and um, Justice Smith plays it with enough, like, yeah. credibility that you, you, you're you more than happy to go along with it. Like, he's, yeah. it, it, he plays it really, really well. And Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds. Does a fine job playing a Pikachu. He does a fine job when he just goes fully Pika Pika. Yeah. But it's sort yeah. of like, it, it, that's also almost like a, a, a better look at the Pokemon as well. There is commentary and stuff. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And also, um, it talks about, um, you know, in that community where you have Bill Nye as the villain, you know, um, it deals with him aging and integrating himself with this extremely powerful um, being with the Mewtwo character. And 
what that would look like a very twisted sense of self of you know engaging with this um mm. these two interspecies community <laughs> as it yeah, were takes it a bit far <laughs> he does take it a bit far but you know we got to see um a live action psyduck and i was extremely happy about that <laughs> just like like we we're saving up team rocket were we <laughs> Oh, that was the only thing that was missing. <laughs> it was. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. When that movie was coming out, I was like super, super skeptical. I'm like, mm. surely not. And then when I saw it, it was just, they just treated it with like an element of love, like of just like, yeah, it's just, it's just fun. We're just here to have a good time. Yeah, exactly right. And that's nostalgia done right. You know, it just makes you happy, and it makes you look back fondly upon one of those things that was so important to your childhood. But it probably Pokemon game comes out in November. By the way, everybody just thought you should know. <laughs> um, I, I I don't get the nostalgic kick from Pokemon, but I'm wondering whether you were the an adult. <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> um, adults can like kids. Pokemon too. <laughs> what is this kid's bullshit? I remember my parents just not understanding at all why I wanted a stuffed Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's not that. It, it's uh, I'm wondering how much they've captured some of the essence of Pokemon enough that it's what appealed to everyone as kids is still reflected yeah. in the film. And so you get that nostalgic mm. rush back to when you were watching the animated series or working with the trading cards and things. But it's mm. uh, it, it must have tapped into that. I don't know it well enough to uh, comment on it. That's why I said it doesn't have the nostalgic kick for me. But, I mean... Mm. For me, it was a great film, and it stands on its own without me having any understanding. Without that baggage, yeah. Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I do have some, so it's not. I'm not ignorant to it at all, but uh, I don't have that same experience as you would have. Mm. But yeah, it's who, definitely who's your favorite film. Pokemon, Monica. My favorite Pokemon. Yeah, who's your favorite Pokemon? I love Bulbasaur. <laughs> 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 He's so cute. <laughs> He's got the little little vines that he just used to slap his enemies. I can't even look to that. Slap the shit out of people. <laughs> slap the shit out of people. <laughs> Who's your favorite? Is it Magikarp? <laughs> it is, is. It is. Well, I, I, younger, I would have said Gyarados for sure because it's a it's a sea monster from hell. But yeah, um, I, I I Pikachu. I actually like Pikachu. Oh, who doesn't? He's the cutest. I've got a big Pikachu on my desk right here. <laughs> and if you rub his tummy, he goes, Pika, Pika, and he's his well. <laughs> That's horrible. Cool. Good choice. Uh, the next sort of, uh, how would I say, evolution of these this nostalgic thing, probably for Gen X, and that's where I'm talking from, uh, is Super 8. Yeah. Um, yep. It, it was. Do you like Spielberg? I've got Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> Spielberg, just like Spielberg. Let me open up uh, the dossier. <laughs> oh, look! It, it, it hits every note of Spielberg. <laughs> you like Close Encounters? We've got that. <laughs> yeah, we've got that. We've got a few other bits of it. You like ET? We've got that. <laughs> but um. Yeah, it, it's oh, it does it. It's so well. many elements of the Spielberg film. It's hard to ignore almost any of his films, uh, particularly from the eighties, not being represented in there. Um, it, it's done so well. Like uh, it's probably one of my favorite J.J. Abrams films, uh, just because it's got it's so well crafted based on those eighties films, and um, it. It's his only film with a logical conclusion. <laughs> no, we're not talking about television series that went nowhere. No, no. <laughs> oh, his Mission Impossible Three wasn't so bad, I guess. No, actually, that was that was quite dark. That one, um, but yeah, it just sort of captured a lot of those things that I guess Spielberg was doing in the eighties, and it was that uh, gritty domestic life that wasn't. In anything previously and this is sort of one of the qualities of steven spielberg i think in his 80s films that 
for me made it all so empathetic when I was a kid because you know I'd go to people's houses and they'd be messy and then yeah. crazy things going on with no real good reason or um stuff like that and so you had this sort of really good understanding of domestic life amongst kids and their parents and then that's brought into super eight really well um we we see the same sort of mess there then you've got all of the alien stuff on top of it which is done exactly the same way almost yeah well spielberg uh, was really good yeah, bringing the, the, mon the mundane into the fantastical like close yeah. encounters is amazing going from there like just dysfunctional family life with his wife who is just on the border of leaving him <laughs> at all times until she does yeah yeah and, and him, and him not being able to grasp the what the amazing thing that's happening yeah um and you sort of you have those characters who are a little bit more real too um in that sense so um super eight uh, it, it's also a little bit meta because they're making their own film at the same time so they've got their <laughs> own little nostalgia for zombie type films and um the time in which you could make your own films with the that media so that's probably jj abrams reflection that's back. his childhood yeah yeah that's him looking back as what he's doing um so yeah for me it was i i didn't know what it was i went and saw it completely blind when it came out i just sort of went oh it's an alien film when and saw it and well, given they, they they trailered it very back when there was an element of restraint in trailer movie trailers, it gave you like the first trailer was just that there was a train crash in a town. That's all you knew about the movie. Yeah, you don't know that uh, the kids are involved or anything. A train crashes and something yeah. is yeah, smashing around like inside the, the container, and then it's just cut to black. It. Super eight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, had lots of things for me that really hit the nostalgic buttons. Mm, no, good, great, yeah, great choice. I need to watch. I haven't watched that long enough. All right, the movie that got me cheering in the cinemas. It's a recent one. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. <laughs> I knew Godzilla would show up eventually. <laughs> yes, that movie is the ultimate love letter to the Japanese Godzilla that I adored as a child i had them on vhs i i had toys of them like before the 98 godzilla i was a godzilla fan and then as a kid i was super excited and as a kid i loved the 98 version but you know i was a kid i was an idiot <laughs> <laughs> this movie was just like from the score being the same to the monsters Ghidorah, rodan you know mothra it, it it was just the let's do the ultimate Godzilla film. It had the stupid, crazy military planes that were flying around that were like supersized. <laughs> you know, it had the big underwater laboratory studying Godzilla. It just it grabbed all of that stuff and just made it this fun, bombastic, insane Godzilla movie. And then all the way down to having a you know getting the lead singer of what i don't know what surge Tarkan, slipknot maybe i don't know i don't know metal bands to, to do a cover of blue oyster cults godzilla was just bonkers like <laughs> it just yeah loved it and it, it was just they nailed it they nailed every aspect of what made the the japanese film special and that it, it, it you're allowed to be silly mm. movies don't have to be super duper dark and grim and serious you can be absolutely nuts and that's okay <laughs> oh look I, I really enjoyed the godzilla like i've enjoyed i i think uh the king of monsters one i found a bit too much but yeah uh it only because it was so oh, many. it's it is the weakest of the the if you look at them if i was to look at them critically yeah it's the weakest but it's the one that i'm like that's that's the godzilla film that's what you expect yeah yeah uh, the I mean, even the latest one still probably, uh, from my room, like I saw a lot of the Godzilla films when I was a kid. There's, I think they used to put them on like late at night, every Friday night or something like that. I just remember seeing all of them like sequentially. Yeah. And uh, I still have these visions of a teddy bear being 
propelled by balloons, which is <laughs> <Kong. Kong>. <laughs> <laughs> Um And then when I watched uh, Godzilla vs. King Kong, it was sort of, you know, he makes that mention of, well, how about we fly him there? And I went, oh, is it going to look like a teddy bear? It's a teddy bear. <laughs> Stuck him. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, they they it certainly, and again, it's got that essence of, I guess, what, even though it required a lot more imagination from those original films to get it working for you, like especially if you look back at them now, um, it, it is that sort of sumo wrestling of monsters and majority of the film is that. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> it's just yeah. my best description of Godzilla yeah. films. Sumo wrestling. <laughs> yes. Yeah, two sumo wrestling suits like pushing each other. <laughs> 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 oh, better yeah. <laughs> but yeah no, that's that's a good one um one of mine is a bit more i guess left field because it's actually more in relation to music than it is um film and tv but it does come into it and um that's fantasia <laughs> um the disney okay. musical score um i grew up um, playing clarinet in school and I was really into my classical music and intertwining that with a little bit of Disney and your Bachs and your Beethovens and your Mozarts and your Tchaikovskys, it just really resonates with me in a way because I find a lot of that music still to this day really, really soothing. It helps calm me down and sometimes I even picture Mickey and the Sorcerer's Apprentice bringing the brooms to life. <laughs> Like even even the bit with like the demon on top of the mountain. That used to scare me as a kid, but you know what? Now I relate to that demon. So <laughs> I have a confession. Mm. I've never been able to get through Fantasia. Oh really? It's oh, yeah, it's all I, worth it. I will re I will reach a point every time, and I can't tell you where. It'll be different points where I get I get bored. It's yeah, it's fair not enough. it's not it doesn't. I never had that like you know appreciation of classical music it's, on any level like my parents were not music people i mean with that kind of movie as well you could break it up into the individual scores and watch it bit by bit so it's not something you have mm. to sort of i guess suffer through for a couple of hours if that's not your thing but all of those pieces of music and the animations that go with it are you know, their own standalone things, really. And you sort of see it now with um, a lot of, um, I guess, modern conductors um, like Andre Ryu, who tries to put that spectacle into whenever he does a live performance with everyone dressed up, like they go into the mm. balls of the ballets of Versailles and stuff like that. It's, it, well, it's odd, too, because it doesn't have a narrative. It's this no. very interesting experiment almost. Yeah, it is an experiment. The only one that really has a narrative is Mickey in his own self-contained story. Yeah. Um, but he's, you know, I guess the exception to the rule in the whole film. Because no, there's Every... just beautiful visuals playing along to mm. what you're hearing. Yeah, absolutely. And there's just something about it which really just hooks into me still to this day. And I, I thought about this one for a long time and then just suddenly yesterday, um, one because I, I had the original soundtrack on, my playlist as well it popped up and i was like oh maybe this is a good one that counts for this episode of the podcast because they did fantasia 2000 right i haven't watched it but they have yeah i just yeah. i couldn't put myself through it i was just like you just have the one i don't know i don't know anything about it is it a is it a sequel uh, my understanding is it's just a different set of musical scores that they just do animation to oh okay so yeah it's just like an anniversary it's, like, it's the Blues Brothers 2000. Of... It's the Blues Brothers 2000 <laughs> to, the, to the 1940s Fantasia film. <laughs> yeah, Fantasia is one of those ones that I think it's a film of its time more than something yeah. that translates because at the time it was a spectacle having mm. such a grand scope of music put together with the animations um the only one that stands up is, yeah yeah oh it is yeah if you watch it, it it's got some very surreal yeah. uh impressionist almost moments yeah. in terms of animation um yeah. the only thing that really stands up though is that mickey and the broomsticks it's sort yeah. of that's the only self-contained one because i think that's the only part of it that actually has 
a slight plot. It is, season. yeah. So, um, I think that's why a lot of people, when you watch it, you, you either just got to... That's gotta... why they remade it with Nick Cage. That's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, they did. And interestingly enough, that wasn't, um, I guess, Disney's first foray into um, trying to mix in music with artistry. He did a short film with Salvador Dali, of all people, to, mm. music, to a song called Destino, which is really, really beautiful. And it's a surrealist, like, fever dream of a short film where it's just Dali doing all this weird animation. Dali. Yeah, with all this music, it's been, it's fantastic. Um, it is available on YouTube for those interested if you've not seen it before. Cool. Mm. All right. Um, I do have one that's separate from that little journey that I'm taking down. Ooh, or we've got a spin-off. <laughs> we have There's, a detour. Oh, well, no, no, it's... A detour it's, on the road to happiness. Yeah, detour what? at the end. But this one is sort of like the culmination of a lot of what was building up there and that's stranger things like mm. and for my generation it's so weird watching it and yeah it's like a well-worn glove yeah it's like you mm. you recognize every aspect of that um from the john carpenter type music to the spielberg feel to it the stephen king influence all of these things have um, been knitted together, you know, generally well. I'm not going to say Stranger Things is perfect, but mm. it's certainly pulling on all of that nostalgia strings. Like, you know, you can imagine a puppet master with all that. <laughs> there's my Stephen King finger. There's my carpenter <laughs> finger. Let's let's pull mm. that bit, this bit. And um, it it has really taken me back to all of those things, and it's done so well in the representation of it um even by putting in people like winona Ryder, and that, that mm. adds to that level of it um, paul riser and yeah yeah, yeah. Paul riser. i can't um, wait to see uh robert england in uh, season four yeah <laughs> well there you go it's it's really they're, uh, they're consciously working with nostalgia and a very potent mix and uh, i can see why it's so popular um it oh this thing's well enough, you don't have nostalgia yeah so it's and what i like is that they're going to finish it so there's no yeah there's no random insight to it mm. um, well they already said but, five seasons so yeah i mean That's even good. the poster, poster behind me is done in the sort of raiders yeah style and you know there's so many things that they just keep pushing from that 80s it's like you know they've gone we want our childhood yeah, back the aliens bitterness. yeah it's um quite amazing feat i have to say fantastic i've got one left and we almost tripped over it talking about phantom menace but when force awakens came out right boy did that take me back <laughs> because it's it, it, because it is just a new it hope. Is literally <laughs> <laughs> literally but bigger <laughs> it um but like the build-up to that knowing that yeah. they the three of them were going to be in it and stuff i was like i was ready Oh, and when I saw it, I, I loved it. When I saw it, I loved it. And, and, and you know, like I've always said, the biggest problem with The Force Awakens is its sequels. Yeah, that's true. That, yeah. Yeah, it is very much a derivative sort of massive well, that's a, <laughs> new hope. That's always been the little thorn in my side about The Force Awakens is that Han Solo literally says, yeah, so it's the same thing but bigger. And it it, it ruined it for me at that moment. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a way to destroy it. There's always, they've always got something yeah. like that. They've always, yeah. yeah. Although I do appreciate Han Solo, you know, sort of screaming at Finn, that's not how the Force works, as if he's some sort of expert <laughs> by that time. Yeah. The rest of it, no, look, it, it is a, it, it's a nostalgic nod mm. to the original Star Wars and New Hope. Yeah. And it's certainly playing with that, as well as bringing our beloved characters back and, mm. Trying to be everything that I guess, you know, in the Star Wars universe, Stranger Things is doing in that sort of general mm -hmm. 80s area there. It was all being brought back in um, to revisit. Mm. Uh, but in the end, I actually think that 
um, it's it's almost like a reboot without being a reboot and it's, a requel, a requel. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, uh, it it's it doesn't quite get there in the end, um, but JJ Abrams shows with Super Eight, he certainly knows how to uh reflect or reproduce a style um and he certainly did in uh, the force awakens it, it's you got that feeling of a star wars film that's for sure yeah yeah definitely to piggyback off yours scott um i have one more in me and since we're on star wars i've actually put rogue one as my pick in that Star Wars universe for nostalgia. That one, but it was sort of sitting off the side, yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, it's enticing, that one. Mm. Um, it completes a picture for you that um, wasn't necessarily quite spelled out in such a way when you see A New Hope. But that's not the clincher for me. The clincher for that is um, Darth Vader in that hallway <laughs> killing people and me screaming out die rebel scum <laughs> it, it gave me so much it just took me back to as a child because like in those in the original um trilogy yes Darth Vader is this imposing really dangerous kind of figure but seeing him do that in Rogue One you physically see him just take down a whole group of people at his peak and mm. that just really sort of affected me in a way that I didn't even realize I was just like yeah he is a menace that everyone keeps saying it was alluded to heavily in the original trilogy but now here you are actually seeing it you know he just force chokes someone pushes another into a wall and just starts stabbing with his lightsaber and it's it's just so fantastic <laughs> absolutely and I, I purposely oh. had that one as a little side one because it was that it it brought you back to that beginning yeah. of a new hope as well so it was like oh i can revisit the <laughs> that original yeah. and that was a very powerful moment to link those two it's just it really, yeah. like digitally i mean they didn't even need to show a face i think uh, no they, but, they didn't but i also loved how it just sort of neatly put it together like a new hope doesn't take place at a you know far away time from that it takes place minutes after that encounter right. and that just makes when you watch a new hope again it makes it that much more exciting it's just like oh they just got away you know yep. oh my oh my god there is this sense of urgency Leia is just a liar yeah she's <laughs> a very good one <laughs> that's why she's the best <laughs> i'm really sorry guys i've got a baby emergency happening oh <laughs> yes i have to go all right <laughs> can you guys finish without me i'm sure we can manage yeah, we can. And I've only got one more. I'll give you a quick heads up. Monica sort of reflected it. It's the Mandalorian. Oh, yes. I had a feeling that we were coming to the Mandalorian. <laughs> All right. I'll leave you guys to it. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. See you later. See you. Um, yeah, just like the uh, Rogue One ending, the Mandalorian sort of helped bring mm. back all that was what I loved about Star Wars in the first place and um, manages mm. to um, also bring Luke Skywalker back into the right place <laughs> because of the uh, yeah. sequels and what, how they dealt with him. Um, it, yeah. It's similar to the Darth Vader thing. It's sort of like we, we don't get to see Luke as our mm. uh, great Jedi master. We only just know that he's finally become a Jedi and that's the end of it. But then you yeah. see him and um he's reflecting darth vader's power that's for sure and it's a really nice uh nod to rogue one by reflecting it and having that happen at the same time so yeah they're almost mirrored kind of scenes and um you also see luke yes he's um, not the great jedi master but he is a jedi and he's just so much more mature and measured in the way that he's in tune with himself and also with the force you know it's not something like in the original trilogy where he was just a bit of a whiner, you know, just happened yeah. to be a good pilot. And, you know, we go on the emotional journey with him, but now we see him as this fully realized Jedi and you're just like, yeah, this is actually Anakin Skywalker's son. You know, this is the yeah. Jedi he was meant to be. So it does bring that full circle and it just ties it off so neatly. Yeah. So it, it really, that was that other moment. And like I said, the Phantom Menace, when I went to go see it at the cinema and saw mm. the title for Star Wars, appear got goosebumps then yeah sky coming back goosebumps reappeared and that was a really lovely moment um and mm. yeah 
that's where nostalgia is really strong with us yeah yeah nostalgia is strong with you <laughs> oh absolutely it's just one of those things I, a, a lot of roads do lead back to star wars just because it has captured something in everybody's imagination at different points in their lives you know for some people the original trilogy is not their trilogy and that's okay but if it sort of leads you down to sort of trying to get in touch with everything else and experiencing those things that's the purpose that's the engine that's the end game there yeah absolutely so mm. i guess we're looking forward now to 90s coming back <laughs> Oof, i'm not sure how i feel about that one i don't know if i'm ready <laughs> Seeing as the '80s, I think we're, we're we're stretching the friendship with the '80s now, and um, it's yeah. really being overdone, I guess, everywhere. It'd be yeah. interesting to see what happens. Yeah. I, I don't have a bad relationship with the '90s. It was don't, just... don't we all? <laughs> I imagine music's going to be a lot to do with it, which we are seeing. I mean, you look at Batman and having um, yeah, Nirvana, Nirvana. Yeah. and, and yeah. in. Um, it was Captain in the Sky Marvel. Yeah, it was in the Black Widow movie. Yeah. And Captain Marvel. Yeah. That that, yeah. So yeah. It, it's showing up. It's starting to show up. Uh -oh. <laughs> Watch out, everybody. <laughs> Ready for that 90s retro. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, since Scott's right. left us for this. Yeah, evening. well, thank you for listening to Pop Culture. Scott was with us. And, yeah. Um, Joy says, I've been Scott, and I'll go, I'm st still Jason. And, of course, I'll finish with I'm still Monica. Uh, Joy, and we'll see you later. Good night and good luck. <laughs>